Hey, this is Darren Tyler. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast of Conduit Church. If you would like more information about us, you can do that at conduitchurch.com. We've had a lot going on this past week, and I wanted to thank you personally for allowing us, for trusting us to be a conduit of your generosity. Because of your partnership, we've been able to send well over $10,000 to Nepal for the relief efforts there. We sent $13,000 this week to help build a church in remote mountains of Haiti. The work in Guatemala continues to go on and on. Uganda, around the world. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you for that. Thanks for trusting us. It means a lot. I know that there are a lot of you that are listening, not just locally in Nashville, but uh, around the world and around the country. So I'd love to hear from you and hear who you are and where you are listening from. Shoot me an email, darren at conduitmission.org. The teaching today is a great one, and I say that not because I taught it, but because it really impacted me personally, and I was just sharing what the Lord was sharing and doing inside of me already. So if you don't use freedom as one of the main indicators, one of the main descriptions of your walk with Christ, this teaching is for you. I'm ready now. Well, I have a question that I'd like you guys to answer, but I want you to do like Malcolm Gladwell style here. I want you to, the blink, I want you to just, the first thing that comes to your mind. I'm going to ask you this question and I want you to write it down. And whether it's on your smartphone or a piece of paper or on your hand, I want you to write down the first word that comes to your mind. Don't think about it. I literally have reaction on me. When I ask you to think about what is the one word, okay? that you would use to describe, if, if you're a believer and you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you would say, I'm a Christian. What is one word, if you could define your entire Christian walk in one word, what would that word be? Just write it down. I should have writing down music. I guess now it's time for the Sarah McLaughlin song. <laughs> Question then. Just spitball me here. What are some of the words you wrote down? Hope? Grace? Rescue, love, redeemed. <laughs> that was awesome. Messy. Faith. Trust. Obedience. Trust. How many for obedience? Disobedience. Honest. I love it. New. So here we go. We got hope, grace, love, redeemed, messy, faith, obedience, disobedience. When Jesus gave his opening salvo, he says he's in the temple and he picked up a scroll and he read from Isaiah that he listed off four things that he'd come to do. And one of them was to give uh, liberty, freedom to the captives. And he would later say that who I have set free, who the son has set free is free indeed. Paul would say in the book of Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, and if you want to go there, that's where we're going to be camping out for a little bit today. But he would say in Galatians 5 1 that it was for freedom that Christ set you free. And isn't it curious that, and I did this exercise on myself, that freedom wasn't the first word that came to my mind. Isn't that fascinating? And not in a shame on you kind of way, but in a, huh, the very core of what Jesus came to do is to set us free. And, and all these things maybe are outgrowths of it. I get all that. 
But even if your word was grace and love and obedience, those, if you were to look back then, and let's say, like, I've been walking with Jesus for a very long time. How honest, if you were being really honest with yourself, does it actually reflect and describe your walk with Christ? Is grace really describe it? Is that, when I look back in freedom, is that what I really would say that describes the majority of my walk with Jesus? The answer for me would have to be no. And I think that that is just the way Satan wants it. It's just the way that the enemy would love it to be. That the very thing that Jesus came to do that would be thwarted by us being set free and then immediately going back and putting what Paul would call here in Galatians 5 verse 1, a yoke of slavery, of bondage, burdened on ourselves again. It's a genius plan if you're Satan. I mean, we think about it. Because we're forgiven, we're righteous, and we are impotent if we are not free. We can be, like we're going to stand before Jesus and we're accepted and we're loved, and, but this side of heaven, we walk around with this yoke of bondage on us. And the question really is, why? And the real question is, is if we don't get this right, what are, what's the result of that? Like, what is it that the enemy really accomplishes in your life personally and in the kingdom corporately if we don't get this right? The very basic 101. And for most of it, it really, uh, most of us, it really isn't that big of a switch. It's like a golf swing, at least I'm told because I'm terrible at golf. If you just tweak at your swing a little bit, it affects your game a lot. And this little tweak today could affect your walk with Christ in profound ways. That it was for freedom that he set us free. If you, who does not know what a yoke is? And if you're a kid, you can raise your hand if you don't know what he... And by the way, it's not an omelet kind of yoke. Not, you know what I'm saying? Not for eggs, but like a yoke. Does anybody not know what a yoke is? Okay, some of you guys don't. That's okay. Because the chances of you seeing one in your day-to-day with life are about none. Like we don't have a lot of yokes sitting around here. A yoke for... For you that don't know, and maybe for the you that do, is this cross beam that goes across the back of animals, usually two, ties them together, restrains them, so that the master can control which field he's going to plow, where the cart's going to go. The yoke is a bondage of, of slavery to the ox, or oxen for plural, to say that this is where you are and are not going. And Paul says here, hey, if you've been set free, why on earth would you take the yoke that Jesus came to get rid of and put it back on again and allow yourself to be controlled by the, the enemy, so to speak? And that's a real, that's a legitimate question. And the yoke he seems to be referring to here, and I wonder if this is why he says it and uses the word yoke specifically, because in Acts 15, Peter would say, hey, don't let that, this circumcision, if you bring it back on, it's not, it's a yoke of slavery, is basically what he's saying. Religion, the yoke of slavery, why put that back on them? He was specifically referring to circumcision, but it wasn't what he added, it was that they added. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not that it was just specifically circumcision, it was anything that you add onto Jesus Salvation plus this equals salvation, acceptance, then that is a yoke 
of slavery. And he would say to them, why would you do that? Our forefathers couldn't do it. Why would we want to do it? Jesus came to do away with it. Why would we put it back on us? It's a yoke of religion, of legalism. In the, in the Garden of Eden, and you've been around a while, you've heard me say it, but it's worth repeating for those that haven't. When the serpent said to Eve, the, the, to eat of this fruit, Eve's response was, no, no, God said don't eat it, don't even touch it. And that's not what he said. What he said was don't eat it. She added don't touch it, and legalism was born. Religion. Adding something to as if it was God's words and then putting it on us is religion. And in our world, it permeates at the denominational levels, at church levels, at individual levels. At an individual level, you might have felt it that time, and you don't have to admit to this, when you dedicated to the Lord, I'm going to pray for a half hour every day. And you did, and you got up, and you faithfully prayed every day for half an hour, even though the Spirit left 10 minutes in. And then the guy comes and he preaches on Sunday about, could you not wait one hour with me? You're like, oh man, a half hour is not enough. Now I've got to do an hour every day. Spirit left 10 minutes in again, and you're praying an hour every day, and you're checking it off of your list, and it becomes bondage to you because the Spirit didn't lead you to do it. It's religion. Is there anything wrong with praying an hour? No. If the Spirit is leading you to do it, absolutely. If it is you doing it under bondage, it is literally cotton candy. It just pff, it evaporates. Did God call us to have a 24-hour prayer vigil that we have to have every hour of the day covered every day? Not here. But if I say that and we do it and that we got to do it because it's what everybody else is doing, there's religion involved in that. And it just it's so sneaky and it just gets in. And before long, you begin to think that Jesus didn't say, come unto me, all you who are weary, but come unto church, all you who are weary, and I'll keep you busy. Come unto me. When we come unto church, my job is not to point to me or to us, but to him. We all stand on a level playing field before the cross. Religion, in a damnable way, gets into the hearts and minds. And it just happened this week. And I, I don't know if we have to erase this or not, but the IMB this week, an amazing organization that has done amazing things around the world. Thousands and thousands of missionaries have gone into the places, the hard-to-reach areas of the world. But 10 years ago, some guys at the top decided, hey, we need to vote on this. And if you subscribe to having a personal prayer language or if you have not been baptized in a Baptist church, you cannot be a missionary with us. And it made headlines all over town, the Tennessean, be all over that. And let me tell you the cost and why I bring that up today because there was a, a guy that was a part of our fellowship who was an elder here for a long time father was the president of the organization. He had already been a missionary overseas for years, had done amazing things in Asia, had come back for a while and taken a little breathing and a little respite. And at a time when they were looking for what God had next, they applied again to the organization that his father is the president of. But his wife marked yes by the fact that she had had an experience with a personal prayer language, marked yes by the fact that she had been baptized in not a Baptist church and was rejected from being a missionary. Bound up, prevented, tied up from being able to do what God had called him to do. And the father and son wept because the father had no control. It was a board of directors that, that, and here's the thing, they thought they were doing what was good for the organization. Like I've seen some stuff on TV. I get what they're thinking. And if you were honest with yourself, you do too. But what they did is they added this thing and they basically then restrict not only just these friends of ours, but who, countless other missionaries 
They couldn't go now because if they were being honest, they were baptized at a church of Christ instead of a Baptist church. That's religion. And I'm happy to report, the reason I bring it up this week is that the trustees got back together and said, that was a mistake. We voted again. Opened it up for countless more missionaries to go. More freedom, more ability to go into the hardest parts of the world. That's on a national level, on a city level. There was an article this week about a church in Indiana called the Widowmaker. A religious church that over the decades of this church in existence, just their only job was to chew up and spit out pastors. They'd get them in, they'd hire them, and they basically thought of them as a chaplain. And then the minute that the pastor spoke anything that rubbed them remotely wrong, they'd fire them, chew them up, spit them out. And over and over again, pastors would come. They'd get chewed up, spit out their children. There's a moment in here where it talks about one of the children standing over a cliff thinking contemplating suicide because of what happened to his parents because of religion. And I love this, and I chose this story because that church this year brought back, after repenting, after doing a little bit of cleaning up, brought back pastors that had been chewed up in the past and apologized to them, repented, and washed their feet in act of love. And there's a secret here because there's, the question is if it's religion that is crushing you, religion that has got you in bondage, how do you break out of that? We're going to answer that in a minute, but there's another yoke that Paul talks about. And if you've got your Bible, I would love for you to, if you don't, you can write it and go later if you want to. But in the, uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians, now most of you guys remember this because you were in youth group and you were told not to be unequally yoked and so don't date uh, people who are sinners. And, and I get that, and there's like probably a part of that that makes sense. But if you were to look at this in the context of what it's saying, that really minimizes the big picture of what Paul is really getting across, of what it really means to be unequally yoked together, quote, with unbelievers. And the way to do that is you have to start in the verse right before it, in verse 12, where he says, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts, open your hearts also. But before I go on, look at what those words mean. Restricted in the original language is speaking of cramps, tightened up. Like, and the word for affections is bowels. I'm a word picture guy, and I love what Paul is doing here. Because he is making it a picture that you can't forget. In the Hebrew culture, which Paul would have come out of, the bowels were the seat of life. In other words, instead of asking Jesus into your heart, they would have asked Jesus into their colon. Now, that is what it is. But the idea being that the heart was the seat for us, for them it was the bowels. And if you think about it, it makes an enormous amount of sense. When Joseph wept in Genesis, it says he wept from his bowels. If you've lost a loved one, what is it? It's like a kick in the gut. You can be driving along... A year later, and all of a sudden that song comes on, it's like a kick in the gut. It's like weeping from your bowels because it's like a kick in the gut. And to be cramped up and restricted, what Paul is basically suggesting is this is the worst stomach virus you can ever get. You're cramped up and you're tied to the bathroom. You ain't going anywhere that there's not a toilet near because you are cramped up by your own affections, tied up, bent over, paralyzed by your own affections. And from that, he says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The restriction, the yoke, so to speak, the slavery, so to speak, don't be unequally yoked, cramped, tightened, 
with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God said, and the reason that I'm saying yoke of Babylon is that these three things he kind of unpacks. You know, sometimes like a preacher will just machine gun some, mess, some uh, scripture and maybe not even give you a reference to what it is. He basically bootstraps together three different passages from the Old Testament that all speak of the kingdom of Israel being tied up, restricted, and in slavery, and to walk out to be free from that slavery. Babylon, specifically. When he says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That is Ezekiel 37, 27. Therefore, because of that, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. That's Isaiah 52, 11. And then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty, which is a snapshot of 2 Samuel seven fourteen. He's saying to them that the yoke of religion is what he talks about in Galatians, but this yoke here is being yoked, not necessarily to a girlfriend or a boy who is naughty, but to not be yoked to the world itself in bondage. And for many of us, that takes on lots of different pictures. The world tells you it's graduation time. The world would say, you've got to go to college, go to a top-rate university, no matter what, go into all kinds of debt if it's necessary. You graduate with $70,000 in student loans for a job that made $35,000 a year. You are under bondage because of a world system. You are being yoked to Babylon. There's an article this morning in the New York Times, and I would encourage you to read it, talking about the myth that our colleges are so expensive because government funding was cut, and so now we have to charge more. It's a giant lie. It's a giant myth. What happened was because of the freedom of student loans and products like that, they get to keep raising their rates. They're not spending any more on your education now than they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But if you were to look at inflation and take a car and side-by-side side with a college education and give it the same rate of increase, a car, the average car today, would cost $80,000 if it kept track with where college is. I'm just saying, let the Spirit lead you. But there is no shame in a community college that is free in Tennessee, by the way. When the world would say, go to Babylon because you've got to get the big degree. If you've got money and it were, Ben, congratulations, you're great, awesome. But pray very, very seriously. Ask the Lord, is, does he really want you to be yoked with Babylon with student loans? Does he want you to be yoked to Babylon with your credit card? We could go on about that. We live under the shadow of Dave, so we don't have to. He's done a better job than me. But it's not just being yoked financially in those ways. There was an article this week that some of you saw about Generation Z. How many of you guys are under 18 today? You guys have Instagram accounts? Some of you? Some of you are just like, my mom will not let me. <laughs> what was intriguing to me about this article was what they were saying. What's happening with our generation is that they are not just trying to uh, be popular, but they're tr- they are brand managers. A brand manager is saying, I'm trying to control the narrative of this brand. 
and saying that that's really what our teenagers are doing with Instagram. They're saying, this is my brand. I need to look right. My hair has to be right. I have to have the right pose, the right filter so that I can then look like the, the everybody else wants me to look. It's being yoked to Babylon. And think about it. Is there any greater bondage than for a child to post their picture and then just hope to Jesus that somebody likes it? To hope to God that somebody doesn't blast them or call them ugly or fat? Yoked to Babylon. And I hate that for our children. But as parents, what a story we can tell them. And as children, I mean, I challenge you, Goman, don't listen to that anymore. Who cares if you got 500 likes? Who cares if he did and you didn't? The answer is you do in your heart because that's where your heart is, but there's a yoke that, that holds you there. And I'm going to tell you in a minute how to get rid of that and how to smash it and how to walk away and how to be free. And what Jesus' promise of freedom was that he wasn't kidding. It was literal that you can be free. So how does that work? How do I walk out of here not feeling the bondage of Babylon anymore? How do I walk out of here not feeling the bondage of religion anymore? Both of them are damnable and they're just evil twins, you know, cousins of, you know, <laughs> villains. Jesus gives us a glimpse when he does say, hey, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me. Learn of me. I will give you rest. But I think the story starts a little earlier that in the book of Isaiah chapter 10 when he says that the anointing is what would break the yoke. Now, if you've been around charismatic world at all like I have, what that meant was sing louder, sing longer, maybe dance, do a couple laps, and when the anointing falls, that will break the yoke. And look, I had some great times doing that. And I don't think there's inherently anything wrong with it, but I walked out just as paralyzed as I walked in because that didn't change anything. It might have changed my physiology and I connected with the Lord, but I don't think that that was the promise because if you look at the passage and what he's saying here, the word yoke is if, uh, the, the anointing there. The, uh, in the King James is where it says anointing, but look what it says in the ESV because of the fat. And in the NIV, I love it because it says, you have grown so fat. Think about this. Think about what he's saying here because it's hysterical. You're going to get so fat that the yoke will shatter off of you. It'll break free. You're going to get so fat (laughs) that that thing that was holding you still will break and be gone from you. And before we get like, I know, look, if you're looking at me, you think, well, Darren, your yoke should be broken. It's... Understand the cultural picture that he's painting here. Parenthetically, so when I went to, uh, I don't remember which trip it was to Haiti, but Paul, who was the head of our education uh, thing over there, he had moved to another city. He hadn't been back in a while. And Paul gets back and he's in the kitchen and there's all these single moms there and they work every day laboring to feed the children. And, and he hadn't seen them in a long time. And there's one of them and there's just the scene that unfolded was this big hug. Oh, Paul. And then a bunch of Creole that I don't understand. And at one point, Paul taps her on the tummy and is congratulating her. And I go, Paul, dude, you can't do that. And he's like, why? And what he was saying to me was in their culture, that's a compliment. That's a high five. 
Because what that means is mama is getting fed. What that means is mama's not having to sacrifice her meals so her children can eat. It means that the children are eating and mama's eating. Congratulations. I haven't tried it yet, but... (laughs) They think I am loaded when I go there. (laughs) You're dude. That's like the richest bong here. That's the culture that this was written in. And if you're an ox that is being controlled by a taskmaster, by Babylonian, by religion, you're not eating enough. You're working all day long and you are an emaciated, scrawny ox. If you get a chance to drive down Paytonsville Arno Road anytime this weekend, I want you to take a look to the right of the road when you get to 6515 because there's a donkey out there named Earl. He is my donkey. And he's fat. Because Earl don't do nothing. (laughs) He just sits around being Earl. The picture that is painted here in Isaiah is that I'm going to, because of that, that yoke is going to be shattered off of you. Now think back. Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me. Learn of me. I will give you rest. What is he saying When you're learning, how do I learn of Jesus? The only way I know to learn of Jesus is in the word because that's where what he said is recorded. I believe inerrantly to us. I get to go there and say, oh, this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus said. And as I'm learning of him, as I'm in the word learning of Jesus, not out of a religion thing because I got to do it a half an hour a day or because I'm in a race to get through the Bible, but to learn of me and what does the Bible refer to over and over again in Scripture? Hebrews 5.12, milk. It's meat. It's all this fattening stuff. So as I'm in the Word, it's not just a lamp and a light, but it's food for my soul. And as I'm ingesting it slowly but surely, look, I didn't get to be this size overnight. I had to work and apply myself. <laughs> you can't just look at the cake. You've got to have some. I can mentor you. But what I'm driving at is that in the word, it's all there and we get to just soak it in and to allow ourselves day after day, week after week to get to know him. And as we get to know him, we're swelling up and that yoke is shattered and we can go into Jesus and he says, take my yoke for it's easy and it's light. What is Jesus's yoke? If you've been sleeping, wake up, you can go right back to bed. But this is it, the moment, because he said, my yoke is easy and light. And the reason it's light, his yoke wouldn't, and it was a cross, and it went across his back as he carried it. That's extremely heavy. But he carried it, not me. Paul said, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever because you're going to be unequally yoked with Jesus. He is going to yoke himself to you. And the picture is not of Jesus sitting in the cart with a whip, cracking it so you get to go where he tells you to go. The picture is of a father, a loving, heavenly father, sitting in there with a, with a Jesus here and me here with a heavenly father and there's no whip on my back because it was on his. His load is easy because I'm not carrying it. Come for rest. The reason when you think back on your Christian walk and it doesn't represent freedom and faith and grace and all that is because so many times I've jumped up into the other side and said, Jesus, don't worry, I got it handled. And I've got this other religion thing, this burden on me, and I've postponed my joy because I'm not fixed yet. 
And so the burden of Babylon, the burden of religion is me beating myself up because I'm not where I want to be yet. Think about the joy of being accepted already as you already are. We don't have to postpone the party. It already started. The party don't start till he walks in. (laughs) There were many people in Nazi concentration camps who were set free by U.S. soldiers or Russian soldiers who would come in and they had to stay there a few more days. Some cases weeks as they awaited for transportation as they awaited. But you know what? Even in that prison, they were as free as they would have ever been because they were freed just waiting for a ride home. And you and me, We might still be sitting in what feels like a concentration camp, but you're already as free as you're ever going to be. You're just waiting for a ride home. Let's start the party this morning. Every day we get an opportunity to wake up and I get to put on the yoke of religion, the yoke of Babylon, or I can just keep taking that word and letting it just shatter that off of me that day and take his yoke on me, which is easy and it's light. Because we got stuff to do. It isn't that we're just going to sit around and wait. David went to Haiti to save a little boy's life because he loves Jesus, not to get Jesus to love him. Because his yoke said, hey, we'll go there and I'll take care of it. And you get to ride a motorcycle around here. We we, we joke that he looks like Bono, but really it's Blano. Because white, Haiti, they call us Blancs. Anyway, that sounded funnier in my head. Quit while I was ahead. Come on, that was good. (laughs) It would have been funny in Haiti. (laughs) Worshippers, would you come back? Because I want to invite us this morning to take his yoke. And there is no better way to take his yoke than at the table. He said, take this, do this often in remembrance of me. Not out of religion, but as a reminder of the yoke that Jesus took, his body broken, his blood spilled because the whip that would be cracked on his back and not on mine. And today, as we take his yoke, his yoke was simple. It said, I only do, Jesus, that I only do and say what the Father says to do and say. That's it. And Luke 740, he said that his uh, disciple, when he's fully formed, will be no greater than his master, but he will be like his master. If we want to be like Jesus, our only job is to say, Father, what do you want me to do today? What are me and Jesus going to get to do today? And some days it's going to be nothing. And some days it's going to be go to Haiti. And some days it's going to be talk to your neighbor. And some days it's going to be rest. And some days it's going to go to watch the children. But only do what the Spirit says to do. That's why he would say that it's through the Spirit that I eagerly await. Not through my works, but through the Spirit. And he would say that it is through love. At the end of that, he says the only thing that actually matters is faith in love, I think it's verse 6, speaking basically that faith is the fuel of love. So what we do is we go do what Jesus asks us to do with his burden or his yoke on us, which is him carrying it and us walking and allowing him to lead us through love to do amazing things for the kingdom that aren't even burdensome, which is why he can then say later on in chapter 6, don't be weary in well-doing. You don't have to be because if Jesus tells you to do this today, go do it. If not, don't go do it. Would you pray today and seek the Lord and say, I'm going to maybe start at the table. Maybe just sit down where you are and write yourself a note, a reminder. But if nothing else, remember and learn of him 
that you are as free as you're ever going to be waiting for your ride home. And meanwhile, how differently will your life be? Father, would you give us insight into that for our hearts, our souls, not just in my mind, Lord, but in my heart. Would you give me the wisdom of that? God, I'm repenting, changing my mind about those areas of the world that I've put on myself and pressures. Even in a church, Lord, that things that are from the world that we could put on us. Lord, we just repent. We change our mind about that and change it to grace and to forgiveness and to mercy and change it to freedom. Thank you so much for carrying my yoke. And today, Lord, with my brothers and sisters, we take your yoke upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.